Hello, Sawbona, how's it? Molo, Jambo, and welcome to Every Nation Durban Podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. I just want to say thank you to everyone who's um, just, a, um, you know, kind of risen up to, to what we're going after in the series on, on end time conversations, what we've been doing for the last month. Uh, we, we really feel strongly like that we're living in times where things are accelerating at an unprecedented rate, and society is changing, and things are happening around the world that are all pointing directly to Scripture, and it's really our heart as a leadership in this church, as an eldership in this church, that we would be a church that's well-positioned, that we'd be a church that's very awake, very aware of the times, very aware of the season we're in, and that we know the specific role that we're meant to play in these end times. We know that there's, actually, when we read the Bible, that there's, there's more said about this time in history than any other time in the Bible. There's more spoken of through the prophets and, and revelation and everything like that about the time we're living in right now than any other time in all of biblical history which is significant. The Bible's trying to tell us information about this time. It's trying to tell us what's gonna happen and it's trying to tell us how to be prepared, how to be ready. And so really our heart through this message has been like, come on, every nation Durban, let's rise up. Let's be that end times church. Let's be those end times saints and let's see the return of Christ come, amen? And so, listen, we, we have switched things around in terms of our worship on Sunday mornings, and normally we start with a lot of worship, and then we get into the preach, and then we end the service, but now we've kind of switched it around, where we have just one song, and then we have the preach, and then we're going to have worship, and the reason has been because everybody just keeps coming so late to church, and when we start on Sunday morning at nine, like there's nobody here, there's like 10 people in the room, and then we start worshiping, and then people start arriving, and then it gets distracting. People are trying to worship, and people are walking into their seats, and, and it's just like we, we feel like the spirit of the age is trying to rob us of worship, trying to distract us from worship. Worship is our high calling as a church. It's what will exist for all of eternity. When you read in the end, in the Revelation, what you find is every tribe, every tongue, every language before the throne in in worship. Worship is what we were made for. It's not just a warm-up until the Word on Sunday mornings. It's not meant to just be this like, okay, let me get into church mood, but the real event is the preach. And so we've switched things around this, this month to try and build some muscle, some spiritual muscles, some spiritual discipline. And, um, and I want to say thank you to you. Thank you, thank you for complying. You know, when I told um, some of my other friends who lead other churches that what we're doing, they were like, yo. Um, <laughs> and, it, and it's like sometimes, you know, as, as leaders, we can be afraid to, to discipline uh, because we're scared people will up and leave or get their noses out of joint. But can I just say something? I'm like, I'm past that because I'm not interested about, in, in offending people or anything like that. Our heart is to raise disciples. That's the mandate we have. And if, and if people get offended by that, and they're like, oh, how can you do that? And how can you close the door while the preacher's on? And the, well, well, it sounds like this is all about you then, and not about the greater mission, and not about the Word of God, and not about honoring God. And so if you want to stay stuck in you, you go be you. But here, we're going to do Jesus. And we're going to follow Jesus and become like Jesus. Amen? <laughs> so... <laughs> So that's already been the heart through this thing. And, um, and yeah, and just to say, like, this is the last Sunday we're going to do this, all right? The, today we're wrapping up the series. Sandila's like, thank you. Um, I must say, I much prefer doing church the other way. I much prefer getting into worship, extended worship, and then going into the preach. It's not that easy to preach on the back of not having worship. You know, because worship does something. It opens our hearts, it aligns our souls, and then it's easier for the word to go in. You know, but when you just start preaching cold, it's like, whoa, okay. Um, so anyway, so I much prefer church like that anyway. I know you guys do too. So next Sunday, we're going back to, to doing that. So, but let's go back to doing it and still be here at, at nine so that we can do what? Worship the king. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, amen. All right. So, so that's coming next week. Um, this is going to be a very special month of September. This is our last month in this venue. Guys, when we moved in here, God told us specifically, he said, seven years. And there was no doubt about it. And when we came in here, we knew this was for a season and then it was somewhere else. And we had no idea what else God had given to us, but he's revealed it to us. He's given us something. It's incredible. I look forward to sharing with you at the end of the service about what that means for us as a spiritual family, because what you're going to find out is that this is not just a venue that we're getting. It's a venue with it's got strings attached to it. It's a venue, awesome, and it's incredible, but it's with a mandate attached to it. There's, God is giving us something with the venue, and we need to have eyes to see it, amen? So, um, so that without further ado, we're going to get started with our last, last sermon in the series this morning, which is called The Race to the End. Uh, last week, I spoke about, we went, we went into that scripture in Matthew chapter 24, where the whole chapter of Matthew 24 is about the end times. And it's Jesus speaking about the return of his coming. And we focused in on just one particular verse, which is, which spoke about lawlessness abounding in the last days and the love of many growing cold as a result. And I spoke about how um, in, in the, what Jesus was saying, the lawlessness in the last days is going to be um, a lawlessness which, which was basically like breaking God's law, not civil government, but a breaking of God's law, an increase in wickedness in the occult and that sort of thing. And so what I showed you last week was that we are seeing an unprecedented increase or an abounding in wickedness on the earth right now, literally like an acceleration of it in the last 20-something years. And, um, and I spoke about how the idols that plagued Israel, Baal, do you remember Baal, Asherah, Asherah and Molech, the three, like, you know, the dark trinity that kept leading Israel astray from God and kept taking Israel's passion and, and gifts and tents and taking them all to these false idols um, are, have made a comeback in our times that we're literally seeing these idols that plagued Old Testament Israel literally coming back into modern society, modern Western, I'll say, society today. I spoke about how Baal has, the last week, has, we've seen like these Baal, uh, temples to Baal just taken around the world. Um, and I spoke about Asherah. Do you remember Asherah? Asherah is this goddess of love, sex, and war. Everything erotic, sexualizing everything, and the demonstration of her was a half-naked woman, and that these half-naked woman poles were put up everywhere all over Israel, and people worshipped them and brought their, in, their, their offerings and started serving um, Asherah. And I, and I spoke about how it's interesting when you just look at modern-day music and movies, you can just see the spirit of Asherah, the demonic power behind it, just at work in our generation. Um, just case study, just something interesting that I noticed this week was with Beyonce. Um, she, very interesting what she said. Uh, here's a quote, I've got it. She said this, she said, I remember right before I performed, I raised my hands up and it was kind of the first time I felt something else come into me and I knew that was going to be my coming out night. Beyonce talks freely about Sasha Fierce, her alter ego, her alter ego that comes onto and possesses her when she's on stage because Beyonce says, I'm actually more of like a shy, reserved type of person. But when Sasha Fierce comes in, I'm able to do the things that you see on stage. And I, you know, I just saw that and I was like, guys, we need to be very aware of the entertainment that we're getting sucked into. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, Beyonce's in town, you know, music concert, and we all go there and we're all dancing. But even her dress code and the acts that are performed on stage are actually rituals, and the words to her songs and everything are anti-God. They're anti the truth. They're anti the Bible. They're anti Christ. And what's happening at these concerts, what we think are just, it's just entertainment, is actually something spiritual is happening. It's the, it's the reenacting, or it's the rebirthing of idolatry, 
And what's the danger of idolatry? Is that the love of many, the love of the saints grows cold. Is that we get led astray and these things get our money, they get our passion, they get our attention, they get our focus, we become wrapped up in them. And you can put many other things in the place of Beyonce there. But I want you to know that the strategy for the end times of the enemy is to lead us in our, to take our love away from Christ and take them into these things. So let's be awake, let's be aware, amen, of what's happening. What I want to do this morning is I want to focus on just the next verse of that same passage in Matthew 24. So let's go there in our Bibles, Matthew chapter 24. But if you wouldn't mind, let's just stand to our feet and pray before we read the word. Maybe you can pray after me this morning. Say, Father in heaven, I commit this time to you. I believe your plans for me are good, but that everything good starts with your word. Your word brings life, healing, and direction. So I treasure your word more than my daily bread. And I boldly confess that my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen. You can take your seats. All right, we're going to read from Matthew 24, and we were in verse 12, and it says the following, and because lawlessness will abound, will increase exponentially, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end will be saved. And then it goes on in verse 14, and Jesus says these words, and he says, and this gospel, can you say this gospel? This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. Can you say all the world? All the world. As a witness to all the nations. Can you say all the nations? All the nations. And then the end will come. Jesus gives us a divine hint as to what it's going to be like in the end times. He tells us when it's going to happen, actually. He says, when you see this gospel as a witness in all nations, you will know that the end is right there. Okay, now, it was 2,000 years ago, that G almost 2,000 years ago, that Jesus said these words. All right? So 2,000 years we've had as church history to watch and see whether this gospel will reach all nations and get to all nations. And the question that you and I should have in our minds as an end times alert awake church is how far is the church from achieving this? We should be attentive. Remember I said we've got to run two software programs as we think about the end times. The one software program is we're looking at the Antichrist and we're looking at the rise of globalism and we're looking at you know, what the enemy is doing in the world so that we're awake and we're not part of the deception and the falling away that the Bible talks about. But on the same time, we also got to be awake and aware of what is Jesus doing in the end times? What's the mission of the church? What are the, the signs of the church? And so a lot of people, they just focus on the Antichrist and this is happening and AI is coming and transhumanism, different type of transitioning that the, the, that the young adults are going through, all right? Just so that's clear, all right? Um, so, you know, they're all about this, but they're never really about, like we're always looking for signs there, but we don't really look for signs of the gospel advancing in the nations. We should, as a church, be just as attentive, just as excited about the gospel breaking territories and getting to all nations. We should be, ex we should be listening for those reports. When those reports come, it sh we should be like, oh, yes, okay, stuff is happening. We've got to be ready because this is obviously what's happening. And what I want to show you this morning is how far the church has come in reaching this objective. And what I want to show you this morning, it's going to blow your minds that on how close we are to accomplishing this. That these words of Jesus could literally be unfolded in the next 10 years. Okay, so just while we're looking for antichrists and marks of the beast and everything, let's be attentive that every nation on earth in the next 10 years could, could have a gospel witness in it. 
Okay? So that's, that's an important thing for us to know when we come to the end times. Would you agree? Amen. So when, when Jesus says here, all nations, what do you normally think about? Countries. Thank you. You think about what? Canada, Malawi, Madagascar. We think countries, okay? Jesus wasn't actually talking about countries there. The word that he used there is the word ethnos. And what he was talking about were ethnicities or people groups, as we call them nowadays. And, and so when you look at the world, we look at nations. Where there are how many nations? There's almost like 200-something nations. It's, we're not really sure, okay? It changes every now and then. Are they a nation or not a nation? We, you know, there's debates. <laughs> there are the solid ones, like maybe 190 who are solid. Then there's about 20 who are maybe if, I don't know, are we sure, you know? And so there's debate around that. But, but around 200, when we look at the word ethnicities or we look at ethnic, ethnos or, or people groups, what we find is that there's almost like 17,000 different ethnic groups in the world. And so while the world's been chopped up and borders have been drawn and you're South African and you're Namibian or you're Zimbabwean, actually what we find is when we get down on the ground is that people haven't really followed those borders. <laughs> That, that we have cousins and nephews across those borders and that we speak languages that are the same across these borders. And so when we talk about ethnicities, it gets a little bit complicated when we look at the earth. But there are many Christian organizations who have mapped out all the different ethnicities on the world, all the different language groups. Why is that important? Well, because we've got a mandate. Take the gospel to every tribe and every tongue. Why? Because in the end, we see every tribe and every tongue standing before the throne. Guys, every tongue, every language. So that's why Christians have always been at the forefront of interpretation and language studies and translating the Bible into languages. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I could go on and talk about that for a whole little while, but we're in a time now where almost every single language will have a Bible. That's another sign to us, that literally in the next 10 or 20 years, every language could have a Bible. Guys, when you know how many languages, there's thousands of languages and different dialects to have Bibles translated. It's a huge task. But there are people working night and day using technology to make sure that that happens. This is exciting. So we talk, we're not talking like 100 years. We're talking 10 to 20 years. That's, that's the, the time we're talking about here. I know the young adults are like, Jesus, wait. <laughs> Hold up. <laughs> He will grace you, all right? He will grace you. There's grace for every season and every time. But, but here, here's the thing. So when we talk about ethnicities or people groups, what we find about 17,000, 7,500 of them have not yet been reached. So 17,000, but 7,500 have not yet been reached. How many people is that? Well, roughly 3 point something billion and then when we look at that, we go, ah, we got time. The young adults are like, <laughs> we got time. Well, do we? That's what I want to show you this morning is actually how close we are to achieving this objective. So when, when, we t when this command was given by Jesus to go into all the world, what I want to do this morning is I want to just break it up into some maps. I don't know, this might just, it's not going to feel exactly preachy this morning. I'm teaching, okay? We're teaching, we're educating, we're learning, amen? Notes, Bible pad, Bibles, pens, paper, whatever, e-notes, I hope you're taking. We're learning, okay? So forgive me if this sounds a little bit like geography and a little bit like history, but this is important. You need to know this. When Jesus gave the command to go and be, in, in Acts chapter one and verse eight, when he said, wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on a high, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He was very specific, okay? So Jesus is here, he's, he's talking to his disciples, and he says, you'll be my Witnesses where in? Jerusalem. Start with where you're at. Then in Judea, which is like the country around. Okay. Then Samaria, those people that are different to you. And then ends of the earth, the people are very, very different to you. Okay. That's where the gospel is meant to go. When he gave that command, I want to show you this first map. This is the map of Jerusalem. 
And what you'll see is on the eastern side of Jerusalem is the Mount of Olives. It's a mountain on the eastern side. You can see the old city over there. You can see where the temple is. You can even see where the eastern gate of Jerusalem is, all right? Now, the eastern gate is a significant gate that I want us just to focus on. But when Jesus gave that command in, Matthew, uh, sorry, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he was standing on the Mount of Olives. And how many of you, who knows what happened after he gave that command? And you'll be my witnesses in all the earth. What happened then? Something very significant happened. Anybody, shout it out. Thank you, Daniel. He ascended into heaven before their eyes. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. Imagine, I just sometimes imagine preaching a sermon and then cheers. <laughs> it's like, I've said everything I need to say. It's like, time to go home. <laughs> he ascended into heaven and all of them were like watching him go up. And then two angels appeared to the disciples and said, what are you looking at? I mean, I wish I could have been one of the disciples in that moment and just said, uh, you know, like, <laughs> it's not every day you see a preacher just, you know, ascend into heaven like Elijah was, you know. And they're staring. They're like, what's going on? They're like, what are you looking at? The same Jesus who ascended will descend in the same way. So, so here's Jesus on the Mount of Olives. He ascends. The angels arrive and they say he's going to come back in the same way. Now, there's a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament and even later on that talk about Jesus arriving when he comes back for, his, for the return of Jesus, all right, the next big event, amen, the return of Jesus is that he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives and he's going to enter Jerusalem through the Eastern Gate again and there will be another temple when Jesus does that. This is what we get from prophecy from different scriptures, and I'll take you to them in a moment. But I want you to know that, like, in order for that to happen, there has to be a temple. If you go look at Israel right now, you'll find there's an institution called the Temple Institute. They have literally got everything needed to reconstruct the temple. Everything. From the priest's garments to the candles to the wooden door frames to, to even the, you have to offer a red heifer all right, as one of the sacrifices. There have been no red heifers in all of Israel. And so in 2018, they've genetically engineered a heifer, a bull, to be a red heifer. And the first one came out in 2018. So we must know that the, the Jewish nation has everything ready for the reconstruction of a temple. And, that's, and it's public news. It's out there. Like you can even go and visit the Temple Institute in Israel. You can see how they're preparing everything. They've even found the Levitical order. They found the Levites. They've created another priesthood. They, they're literally, they're going all out, okay? This is another thing we should be watching. As we get to the end times, we must remember that Jerusalem becomes more and more important, all right? This is why, as a church, we are pro-Israel, all right? We're not getting sucked into this debate about apartheid in Israel and atrocity. Let me tell you something. That is not apartheid what's happening in Israel. That's war that's happening over God's people possessing God's land. And as a church, we pro them. We are for Israel. We are supporting Israel. We are praying for Israel. They are still God's chosen people, and they have a very important role to play in the end times. Okay? And we're trusting for their salvation. We're praying for their salvation. But we are also very aware that whoever blesses Israel will be Whoever curses Israel will be cursed. And we've seen that throughout history, okay? So anyway, that was a rabbit trail. Here's Jesus on the Mount of Olives. I want you to notice also something about the temple here. The temple faces east. The entrance to the temple is east. So when the priests are offering sacrifices and they're worshiping, they're facing west. Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives and he's facing where? The west, the disciples are looking to him. He's facing the west. When he says, go to Jerusalem, they turn around and they go west. Everything points westward. When you go to the Garden of Eden, what you'll notice is that the garden was entered through the east. 
So it faced west as well. A lot of people say, actually, that is the very location for the Garden of Eden, that Jerusalem is that. We're not really sure, but maybe it is. It's kind of like God. He would do that, you know. But, but the idea is that when Adam left the Garden of Eden, he went east. East is always associated as going away from God. West is always going towards God. Uh, Lot uh, pitched his tents towards the east where Sodom was. So there's always this east-west kind of theme in the Bible, all right? Significant. We need to know that. So Jesus gives these words. And then um, before that, I want you to know that before that, there's, a, there's that red line which actually traces Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Remember Palm Sunday when he got on the donkey? He actually rode through the eastern gate and came to the Temple Mount through that gate. And um, it's, it's a lot of the prophecies in the Old Testament lean towards the fact that in the way that Jesus did that, we left Bethany and he went and rode the donkey into us. There was like this triumphal entry. It is a almost prelude to how he will come back when he returns, that he'll enter through that eastern gate. Now, the result of all of this is that the gospel command from Jesus to the disciples, everybody then went west as a result. So I want to show you another map now. Are you still with me? Yeah. Nudge the person next to you. Say, hi, four. All right, there's a red line down that map showing the, the, the longitude of Israel, I mean, I'm sorry, of Jerusalem. Okay, that red line is on the line of, of Jerusalem. I want you to notice that the gospel from that command went west. There were some very key moments when Peter had to have an angel come and meet with him to tell him to go to Cornelius' house. There was another key moment when Paul was looking to go to Asia, but he was prevented by the Spirit, and instead he was commanded to go into Europe, all right? So there was this continual Western pioneering of the gospel all the way through to Spain, right? Throughout that Roman Empire that we know today. And very little attention was given to the East, there we do know that um, Bartholomew and Thaddeus and Thomas went to India and Persia, and we even know that the gospel went as far as China, but what we find, everything east of that line did not get much attention. The gospel didn't take root in the east like it took root in the west. Is that right? Did I say it all right? All right. And the result of that, all right, so ever since that was the early church's movement west, we've just seen this continual move of the gospel west, whereas on the east, we don't see the same thing. The result of that is that we then have a map like this. So let me show you. This is current day now, all right? Where everything east, there's the same red line on the line of Jerusalem. Everything east of Jerusalem is actually classified as the most unreached, difficult, anti-Christ nations in the world. That's where we see the strongholds of Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism. That's where Bibles are outlawed. That's where you cannot uh, preach Jesus freely. You cannot be a Christian. You will be killed. You'll be tortured. You'll be thrown into prison for life. So all the way from that red line right the way across to China, the, the gospel has not been able to penetrate. I've recently read the history of the church in Cambodia, and my goodness, what a story of absolute atrocity just against the gospel and how Christians for centuries have suffered in these nations. Guys, it's, I mean, when they read the book of Revelation and they talk about the anti, when we read about antichrists and they'll be given over and persecuted and hated by all, they know that scripture. For them, it's like end times just reading that. That's their daily existence, all right? And the question is, so, so this is the world as we have it right now, right? The West, the gospel flourished. I mean, the gospel took the Roman Empire. And then from the Roman Empire, the barbarians sacked Rome. The gospel conquered the barbarian hearts. And then the Vikings conquered the barbarians, and the gospel conquered the Vikings. I mean, I've been to Sweden, and I've seen, guys, those... Those were tough nations. The Vikings were tough people. The barbarians were tough people. I mean, those Germanic tribes, they were anti-God. They were pagan tribes. There was witchcraft. There was a cult. The gospel penetrated those lands to the point where, I mean, I've been to Sweden. There's 
churches and the, the flags are all crosses on them. And I mean, the church, you know, flourished in those nations, but it, it came against huge persecution as well, but it conquered them. From the Vikings to the Anglo-Saxons, from there, it then spread even more west. So we, we saw the gospel conquering, but on the east, it was a very different scenario. We didn't see that same thing. So the result is we have a world like this right now where most of those unreached people groups are in that, even that yellow square that I've drawn over there. And the question is, well, why? Why is it like this? Why did this happen like this? Let me take you to some interesting scriptures and let's examine why it is like this. Are you still in Matthew 24? Jump ahead to verse 27. This is still Jesus talking and he's talking about his return. Notice what he says. Can we read it together? As the lightning comes and flashes to the west, come on, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Very interesting words. Notice what Jesus says. As lightning comes from where? East to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. There's something powerful in what Jesus said there in that moment that Satan has taken very literally. That Jesus is talking about the end times. What he's saying is that when I come back, it's going to be from east to west. Okay? Zechariah 14, we don't have time to, to go there, but it talks about Jesus coming back to the Mount of Olives and entering through the eastern gate. All right, remember I showed you the eastern gate. You all saw that through that same. The idea is that he's gonna do it again. Look at this scripture in Ezekiel 43. There's lots I can show you, but we're just gonna keep it tight. Then the man brought me to the gate facing east. And we saw the eastern gate. And I saw the glory, of, the glory of the God of Israel coming from where? From the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters. That sounds like Jesus, amen? And the land was radiant with his glory. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Listen, the Bible doesn't just drop things by accident. It keeps saying east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So all the prophecies are talking about Jesus coming east to west, returning to Jerusalem from the east. And I want you to get an understanding of this, that, is that when Satan gets wind of prophecy, he does whatever he can to delay or stop it from happening. How many of you know that when he catches wind of the prophetic destiny on your life, that he gets into operation? Some of the, the kids I meet who have suffered the most and have been gone through broken families, broken childhoods, just disease, just through persecution, whatever, are actually some of the most gifted, anointed, and called individuals I've ever met. Why is that? Well, because from birth, we can see the prophetic destiny on your life. And Satan knows, uh-uh, this one. We can't let that happen. And so he launches full-out attack. Now, I want you to know that there has been a full-out attack to everything east of Jerusalem. Satan has entrenched himself in the eastern frontier because he is trying to delay or resist the coming of Christ so that he can corrupt the rest of the world, but he's making sure that his trenches are dug very deep over there. To give you an idea of how serious Satan is, all right, I wanna show you a picture of the eastern gate today. Here's a picture of the eastern gate. What do you notice about it? It's bricked up. <laughs> Why is that? Well, because when the Ottoman Empire and Islamic armies overtook Jerusalem, they saw the prophecies about the Messiah coming from the east, and so they bricked up the eastern gate. They closed it off completely so that he wouldn't be able to enter. Do you notice something about what's in front of that eastern gate as well? What is it? It's a graveyard. Why is that? 
Well, because in Jewish law, if you touch a dead body or go into a graveyard, you're considered unclean. And for the Messiah to remain pure, he, he can't go near dead bodies or near graveyards. And so they placed a graveyard in front of the eastern gate so the Messiah couldn't come through. I want you just to like understand, like this is a very real war for territory and a very real war over the prophetic scriptures that we see in the Bible. These are not just scriptures we read. There's an actual war on the ground against the fulfillment of these things. To make matters even more hectic, what the Ottoman Empire did was they literally closed the Silk Road. How many of you know, learned about the Silk Road in school yeah. history? It was the road that connected the Middle East to the end of China. It was a, a road of traveling for merchants and business and, and, and money and goods and everything traveled along the Silk Road. Here, here's a map of the Silk Road. It traveled along that thing. When the Ottoman Empire took over the Jerusalem, they shut that thing down. They closed it off completely so that no travel, nothing from the east could penetrate Jerusalem. <laughs> Guys, I want you to know that there is a war for the prophetic destiny on your life. Just like we see for Jerusalem, there's a war. There's a war for the prophetic destiny on your life. Satan wants to build up walls. He wants to cut off supply channels. He wants to put graveyards of shame. He wants to put uh, pain, hurt, surround the, heart, the door of your heart with tragic instances, everything to keep you blocked off from Jesus. But how many of you know our Messiah has got the keys of death and Hades? He's not afraid of touching the dead. In fact, that's why he came to raise the dead to life and there's no wall he won't kick down when he comes after us there's nothing that can stop the coming of the Messiah in our lives but let's be aware that he's trying to stop the prophetic destiny on your life so if you're going through some battle if you're going through some difficulty if you feel like supply chains are being cut off you can't hear God things like that you must know that there's a very real battle he does not want you to connect with heaven he doesn't want you to connect with the Messiah, receive from heaven, live from the place of heaven to earth. He's stopping whatever he can to make that happen. So at this point, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking like things like graveyards, cut off, unreached people groups, everything east of Jerusalem is darkness. Let me shed some light this morning on what God is doing in the east. What we are experiencing now in the world and for the last 20, 50 years is the biggest revival in all of history and the biggest mission movements in all of history has been birthed now in the last 20 years and it's been birthed in the east and it's coming from east to west. Let me, let me show this to you. So we're going to focus on China. A lot of talk about China and the role of China in the last days, the dragon and the antichrist. China is a closed nation to the gospel. I want you to know that when Mao Zedong, Mao Zedong took over China in 1949, somewhere around there, they outlawed Christianity. They established a phony church, and if you want to be a Christian, then you have to join this phony, the three-self church. But the problem with this church is you cannot believe in the virgin birth, the resurrection, or the return of Jesus. Literally, they tell you, you cannot believe that. You're not allowed to give out Bibles, and you're not allowed to have anybody under 18 in your, servants, in your services because that's brainwashing the youth. So you can't have kids ministry or youth in this church. So you must know that it's a fake church, it's a phony church that the government has established. But obviously, there's Christians in the nation who are like, no, we're not gonna join that. We're gonna be the underground church, all right? So China is hostile to the gospel. Our brothers and sisters, I want you to know, are suffering in China. They are being thrown into prison. They are being ripped apart from their spouses, their kids, left in prison to die for years, all right? Because of this anti-Christ spirit that's at work in the nation. It's an atheist, communist nation. To the point where even recently, China is destroying churches wherever it can. I want to show you this picture. This is from 2018. This is a mega church that wouldn't abide by the three self laws in China. So the police came and they literally blew it up. No, no kidding. This is like on national news in the West, everywhere. That building was 
a main church in China, and the, and the police came in, they blew it to the ground. They completely destroyed it. Why? Because it wouldn't obey their teachings on communism. So we must know it's hostile territory. Yet in that nation right now, we are seeing an underground church that has experienced revival to the point where there are 10,000 new believers coming to Christ every single day. There are estimated between 150 to 200 million Christians. And when I say Christians, I mean like the real ones. The ones, the ones who are not like just, yay, we're going to S.O. Twain, you know, like, get a, you know, it's not like this, this is a party. No, it's like I'm following Christ and I know I can die, but I choose him. You know, I know I could be thrown in prison, but I still choose him. Like that real type of Christian, all right? And, and I'm talking like 150 to 200 million of them in that nation. The, the underground church is growing so rapidly. But why is that important for us to know when we talk about the end times? Well, this is why. Because when you go into the underground church in China, what you will find is that they have a prophetic calling on them. God has, for the last hundred years, spoken to this underground church and said, I want you to take the gospel all the way back to Jerusalem. I want you to go through all those Buddhist, Hindu, Islamic nations and bring the gospel back to Jerusalem. Go through the entire Muslim world. That is their prophetic mandate to the point now where the whole underground church in China believes and receives that mandate and are giving their lives to go into that area that is hostile to the gospel. We have now seen in the last 15 years the biggest missionary movements coming from China into those, Eastern, into those unreached people groups in history. Just to give an idea, in the West, 1% of missions money goes to those nations. 1.7% of missionaries are working in those nations. Not, not everybody feels called to your Somalia and, or Afghanistan, amen? <laughs> it's not exactly like, we, you know, Jesus calling me there. We, we often feel called to Spain and Italy and, you know, <laughs> London, you know, I'm going to be a missionary for you, Jesus, you know? 1.7% of the current missions force in the, in the world right now is there in those nations. Only 1% is going... But that's not the case with China. 100% of everything that they're giving and sowing is going into that area. 100%. And the effect is remarkable. I want you to know, this is what, this is what some of the um, Chinese leaders of the underground church have said. This is from uh, Peter Zhu. He's often known as the Billy Graham of China. He has a church of, you know, a small church, 20 million members, Around there. He said this, God has used persecution and suffering to refine his church in China, to provide training for the believers in China, to complete the great commission all the way back to Jerusalem. And he's got a church of 20 million people. Their calling, their slogan, their mandate is back to Jerusalem. So imagine when Jesus says on the Mount of Olives, go, everybody goes west, the gospel goes round the earth because the earth is round. It lands up in China. It has taken root in China. What is the mandate given to China? Finish the, the line. Take it across the line. That's how they're seeing it right now. Listen, Brother Yun, um, you, aka the heavenly man, you guys heard about him? And he was in the, he was in the west, uh, he was in America, and pastors were asking him, Aren't you upset about what China is doing and blowing up churches? They were actually went on a, a national campaign to remove every cross from every building. And this is what he said. Listen to this. Makes me want to cry. He said, ah, oh, where is it now? Sorry. He said, I'm not worried about that. And they said, what do you mean you're not worried about these buildings coming down? He says, the Bible says we must carry our crosses. Christians get lazy because we put crosses on buildings thinking the building will carry the cross. The cross belongs on our backs. 
When the offering plate is being passed around in these churches in China, it's not uncommon for believers to put it on the ground and then step into it and give their lives as an offering to the 1040 window, to the unreached people groups in China. Another pastor who's got a church of 10 million said this. He said, the Arabic people like the, Chi- the, Arabic people like the Chinese people more than they do the Westerners. They don't have anything against the Chinese like they do Americans or Europeans. We already have many Chinese companies there. The Chinese economy is growing fast and our neighboring countries are welcoming the Chinese investment and so we're going. The Chinese government has actually reopened the Silk Road and started to invest billions in redeveloping the Silk Route. This is a sign to us. The Silk Road is open. That was 10 years ago. The Silk Road is now open. All right, billions are being invested. What is that saying? It's saying that the Middle East is now connected to the East. And Jesus is coming from East to West. All right. They've got missionaries now. The Chinese church has missionaries working in nations like Bhutan, Somalia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Egypt, Iran, North Korea. In fact, what they've done is they're leveraging the technology in China to get the Bible into these nations. So you guys know that North Korea is like a closed nation to the gospel, persecuted Christians there. They developed a credit card-sized device, audio Bible, um, that, that because in, in, in North Korea you don't have access to batteries or something like that, that you know, the, and the device, they thought, well, if, if we give them a device and they run out of batteries, what's the point in that? So they've engineered a device that's the size of a credit card that can last for five to seven years without needing a recharge and give the Bible to whoever needs it. Then they, they smuggled millions of those into North Korea. I want you to know that Jesus is at work in North Korea. You can't keep him out of North Korea. In fact, the, the church came back and said, we need smaller ones because the, the, the government's now clamping down. So now they've developed a Bible the size of a pill that projects a hologram of scripture that lasts for the same amount of time. They're using what God, what's happening in China for the gospel. I mean, they're, they're using even business as a, as a tool. So we know about the Chinese and business, right? They are now in their missions training schools, training missionaries to start businesses in foreign nations. So you graduate with that and you get your theology at the same time and then you go. And the idea is you go to a nation, you start a business, you become self-supporting, and then you propagate the gospel when you're there. Even in Cairo, this was, I was so blessed by this story. In Cairo, another closed nation, right? The Chinese arrived there and strong persecution by the Muslim Brotherhood, again, anything Christian. They worked out that a lot of women are not able to go out during the day because they need male chaperones. Like in strict Islamic law, the woman can't just roam the streets. They have to go with a male chaperone. And the result is that women are often stuck at home and frustrated because they can't get to shops, they can't buy things they need. So what did the Chinese do? They started a door-to-door shop where they started taking women's clothing, um, household items to the doors of Islamic homes and selling it to women who could then try on the clothes and the privacy of their own home and come back and choose what they wanted to buy. So literally setting up little shops outside people's homes. And, and, and that way, they're now in these homes sharing the gospel with these women and we're seeing them come to Christ. <laughs> Guys, how creative. Amazing is that. I could go on this morning. In Iran right now, one of the nations that is closed to the gospel as well, we have the fastest growing Christian church in the world in Iran right now. In the last few years, millions of Iranians are turning to Jesus. Millions are turning to him. What does that say to us? Be awake, be aware. We're at the end of the end. The, the place where the enemy has entrenched himself is being plundered by the gospel. You cannot keep this gospel out and it's going in there in full force. So in conclusion, I wanna just share, share this quote from this book that I read this week. Um, 
And it says the following, if you wouldn't mind just putting that up. This is Eugene Buck, and he talks about China in the end times. Brilliant book. And he says this, the underground church is flowing through the land of Muhammad like water through Hezekiah's tunnel, and it's bringing the glory of the Lord. Jerusalem is fed by a spring of water. It only has one spring of water, the Gihon Spring, but it's outside the walls of the city. And so if you attack the city, you just cut the water supply off and you wait for the city to dry out. Simple, right? So what they did is they built an underground tunnel called Hezekiah's Tunnel to filter the water from the Gihon Spring into the city of Jerusalem so the city could survive. And they sealed up the entrance so that if an attacking army came, they would never know that standing, that they'll be standing on is the very life source of the city. And in that way, they stayed alive. And what he's alluding to here is the fact that the enemy has set up his camp, but under his feet, the gospel is advancing and growing, and it's going all the way back to Jerusalem. Amen. Can we give God praise for that? So... Um, I'm going to ask the worship team if you wouldn't mind coming up as we just wrap up this morning. And I'm going to ask the ushers if you wouldn't mind just passing out communion. It's the first Sunday of the month, so we want to do communion together. We want to worship and then take communion after worship. So when you get the elements, please just hold on to them. Um, But let's have a moment for our big reveal this morning. This message is, is very fitting because... What I like about the church in China is they know what they're called to. They know their prophetic destiny. They know the mandate that God has given to them. What is it? Take the gospel back to Jerusalem. Finish it. Finish the task. And the question I have is, well, Lord, what are you giving every nation Durban? What is our mandate? What is our prophetic destiny? What have you called us to in the city of Durban? And when you get to look at our venue this morning, I'm not gonna tell you what our mandate is. I'm not gonna tell you what I feel like God is saying, what God has spoken to us as an eldership and a leadership team. I want you to look at our new venue and then figure it out for yourself. So can we stand to our feet for a moment? I think the kids are gonna come in and join us as well. Come on in, everyone. So remember I told you this is, a, this is a venue with what? With a mandate. It's not just a venue. And Jay, there you go. He has a nice venue. It's a venue with. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at endurban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermon. Be blessed.